0: Welcome to The X-Zone, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that, for the past 28 years, I have been calling The X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And The X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on The X-Zone Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. If you would like to send us an email, it's very simple, X-Zone at X-Zone TV.com On all social media sites, Radio TV, And to find out about the programming we have available for you with our compliments 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, just visit our website at www.xzbn.net. My first guest tonight, Exxon Nation, is Catherine Casey. She's an award-winning journalist and author who has written for the Rolling Stone magazine, TV Guide, Reader's Digest, Texas Monthly, and many other publications. She's the author of 10 previous true crime books and the creator of the highly acclaimed Sarah Armstrong mystery series. Uh, Catherine has appeared on Oprah, Oprah Winfrey's Oxygen Network, Biography, Nancy Grace, E! Network, True TV, Investigation, Discovery, and the Travel Channel and AE. e She is based in Houston, where she lives with her husband and their dog, Nelson. Joining me now is Catherine Casey. And Catherine, welcome to the X-Zone.
2: Well, thank you for inviting me.
0: Um, where did your love for true crime come from?
2: You know, it just kind of happened. You know how in life things just kind of fall in place? Mm-hmm. I was uh, writing for magazines, and I kept getting assigned true crime cases to cover. And it just kind of turned out that I had a knack for them. So at one point I turned them in, I started doing books. They're kind of fascinating. You know, it's really interesting to look at the psychology behind the crimes.
0: You've got a new book out called Possessed. Can you tell us about it?
2: Sure. It's uh, on the Houston, uh, Texas, uh, Stiletto murder. Uh, The victim is a man named Stefan Anderson, and Stefan was a research scientist and a professor at the University of Houston, brilliant man, and he was uh, murdered in uh, 2013, I think, I'm I'm drawing a blank here, um, by a woman named Anna Trujillo, and Anna killed him by pummeling him over and over and over again with her stiletto heel. It's like a scene out of a movie. Right. Yeah, when the police arrived, there was so much blood on the walls that they thought that uh, Stefan had been shot, that it was a gunshot. But it was actually from being hit over and over again with a shoe.
0: Now, uh, why did you pick this true crime case to write your book, Possessed?
2: Well, you know, when I first heard about it, I wasn't going, even though I live in Houston, I wasn't going to pick this case. It was just really sensational. I was in London at the time on vacation, and they were carrying it on the BBC, and it was on over and over and over again. And I thought maybe it was just getting almost too much attention. And it was getting attention because of the way Stefan died, because of the murder weapon. And uh, then when I got back to the the States and Mm -hmm. I got home to Houston and I started reading the newspaper articles, um, it really became kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of a a fascinating case because uh, Anna was saying that this was a result of domestic violence, that Stefan had attacked her and that she used the only weapon she had available, which was her shoe. But the more I got into it, the you know, even just reading the newspaper articles and asking around a little bit, mm-hmm. um, it became more and more doubtful that Anna was really a victim and that perhaps this was a case kind of of reverse domestic violence where Stefan was the victim. And what? then there were these other fascinating parts about the occult that kept popping up. Oh.
0: Tell me, uh, what is the most important information you found out about Stefan's past?
2: Well, Stefan was a brilliant man, uh, but he'd had a troubled childhood. Uh, He told friends repeatedly that he had uh, come from an abusive household, and that his father had been violent Mm -hmm. with his mother. And that history played up uh, in, in the murder scene that night, so... Really, his past became very important. That and I, I think just uh, the fact that he had a very difficult time. He was a lonely guy, and he had a difficult time saying no to people. Uh, he was one of those people who was always trying to please others mm-hmm. and take care of others. And in this instance with Ana Trujillo, that was a very bad thing.
0: Well, how about Anna's past? What was her past like?
2: Well, you know, she came to the States with her family um, shortly after being born in Mexico. And up until about four years before the marriage, uh, before the, the murder, she'd had a pretty uh, unremarkable life, except that, um, you know, she had done well in life. She hadn't had any problems at the time that four years before the murder take place took place, she was living in a suburb of Houston in a beautiful white brick house with a husband and two daughters, and was kind of your typical working mom. She had a really good job with Coca-Cola, and uh, everything then started to change in Anna's Life, and that all led her to that night with Stefan.
0: Now, where did the paranormal or the occult come in?
2: Well, the first sign of it in the, in the case mm-hmm. was on the murder scene that night. The uh, forensic team showed up, and they started going through things, and they started noticing strange notes that were on the table. There were all of these sheets of paper where Anna was drawing concentric circles over and over and over again. And then they opened up her purse and took her, and started going through it, and they found a book inside, and it was a tarot card book, and it was open to the death cards.
0: So, how how did the police do the reach that the occult was involved because of the concentric circles, and then somebody has a book of tarot cards in their purse?
2: Well, uh, they they found that, in, that. I don't know that the occult was involved as like a source of this having happened Mm -hmm. or the reason that this happened. But uh, they found out fairly quickly that Anna believed that she had special powers and she talked about these powers that night. They they brought her down to HPD headquarters in downtown Houston uh, and interrogated her. And in the video interview that they did that night, she talks about having special powers saying that she can move things with her mind and that she can heal people.
0: Okay. So what did the police do with this information?
2: Well, you know, it didn't play into the actual uh, prosecution of the murder because it mm-hmm. really wasn't needed. Right. But it was just kind of this interesting side of Anna that when I was working on the book, you know, the farther I got into it, the more interesting it was. So there was just a lot going on on this case. Um, You know, this is an unlikely murder victim, you know, a a university professor and a, uh, you know, a woman who is very troubled.
0: So how did these two meet?
2: Well, uh, Anna, after she left her husband, was working in downtown Houston and became something of a party girl Mm -hmm. for about the last three, four years of her life. And things just kept, kept kind of plummeting for her. And she ended up moving kind of from man to man to man. And at the point that she met Stefan, Stefan lived in a beautiful uh, condominium project, a high-rise condo overlooking a golf course in downtown Houston. And Anna was staying with a man that lived about three floors above him. And they met in the lobby. Hmm. And I'm sure that Stefan looked at her and thought, well, she's just this beautiful woman. And, you know, and she was very vivacious. People liked Donna. And I'm sure he had no idea at first that she wasn't entirely what she seemed.
0: Stand by, Catherine. You and I have to take our break here for the first set. Exonation. Nation. Catherine uh, Casey is our special guest. That's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N Casey. Her website, CatherineCasey.com. And we're talking about Catherine's book, Possessed. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And, uh, of course, on The Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. I'll still like to uh, say hello to all our listeners and friends uh, listening to us on AM 1600 KOHI in St. Helens, Oregon. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue hearing the Exxon from our broadcast centre in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. And welcome back, everyone. Catherine Casey is our guest this hour. Her website is com. We're talking about Catherine's book entitled Possessed. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight, uh, uh, Catherine. It's nice talking to you. And uh, when did things start to be seen that all was not heavenly bliss between Stefan and Anna?
2: Well, he was very much in love with her in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, he started to see things that were unusual. Like one night she cut a hose going into the refrigerator, the water line, because she said that there were entities in there and they were talking to her and there were just odd things happening. And, uh, he started to get scared. He started to say to his friends, things like, well, Anna gets rough Yeah. and they thought, well, maybe, you know, he didn't mind it. Maybe it was something, you know, kind of their, uh, uh, love making or mm-hmm. something but then he started talking about other things like she would come up behind him and grab him around the neck and she was strong anna was a strong wow. woman and uh stefan got to the point he was frightened of her
0: were there any children in in either uh in, on either side either stefan's or anna's
2: anna had two children from her first marriage
0: Uh, They
2: were Mm -hmm. uh, adults at that point. Well, one was still in high school. The other one was uh, an adult at that time. And they were living uh, up in Waco with her family.
0: So if Stefan was worried and had concerns about his safety and what Anna was doing, why did they stay together?
2: Well, he didn't want to stay together. He repeatedly Mm -hmm. uh, would sign paperwork to allow her into the condominium and then revoke it after, you know, sign another form saying, no, I don't want her to be able to come in. Right. But Stefan was kind of a creature of habit, and he had a close group of friends. And he went to the same restaurants and bars after work to see his friends in the evening. He liked getting out. He was a single guy, and this was his outlet. Um, and Anna would just started showing up. And then she find found ways to get other people to bring her into the condominium pro you know, into the condominium. And it, uh, he kept trying to get her out of his life, but you know, she kept getting back in. And I think she saw Stefan as at the end there as her last hope. He was the only one she got into an altercation and ended up at, at his flat okay. in his condo that day. And, um, She tried other friends. No one would take her in. So Stefan was really the last one willing to help her out.
0: Tell us about the night uh, Stefan died.
2: Well, they had gone out. They went out quite often. Uh, Both of them uh, drank quite heavily. They were at a bar outside downtown Houston. And Anna was dancing in the seat and having fun and talking to the other people at the bar and just really enjoying herself, Uh, Stefan sat over, kind of by himself, really quietly in a corner. And then he, it was closing time, and he got the cab to go home. And Anna started an argument with the cab driver and became belligerent in the cab. And it was so bad that when they got to the condominium project and Anna got out, the cab driver, the woman cab driver, told Stefan that that uh, she was afraid for him, and actually prayed with him for a minute, held his hands, and prayed with him, and uh, said that she was afraid that her fr- his friend might hurt him. And uh, he walked through the lobby and walked upstairs, and Stefan was never seen alive again.
0: What was the crime scene like? And when do they believe from the time Stefan and and Anna got back to the condo until the time that the police believe the the homicide took place, what type of timeline are we looking at?
2: Well, they got in uh, about 2 o'clock in the morning, and uh, Anna walked in first, and then Stefan followed her upstairs a few minutes later. Mm -hmm. And the timeline that was given at the trial, and I think it's probably a pretty good guess, is that it all happened around 2.13. Wow. Because at 2.13, the neighbor uh, woke up, And this is a solidly built condominium project with, I mean, heavy walls in between the the units. But uh, the neighbor woke up and there was a lot of banging going on. she thought that furniture was being moved in the next room, you know, in the next condo, in Stefan's condo. And uh, she heard shouting. She heard yelling. And she was getting ready to go over there to talk to them. But by the time she got to the entryway to leave... Uh, the yelling had stopped, and it got quiet. And after that, she didn't hear anything else. It was quiet. So they believed that he died, or, or that the actual assault happened, around
0: 2.15. Why do you think the taxi driver didn't uh, call the police and tip the police off? that You know, she had these two fares, and that she feared for the life of one of the fares.
2: You know, uh, Stefan told her he'd be okay. She, she had talked to him about going to a hotel, mm-hmm. said she would drop him off somewhere, and he insisted, no, he'd be all right, he could be fine. So, you know, she left that night, I guess, thinking that, well, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times do we look back later and say, gee, I wish I had done something different? But, you know, she had no way of knowing what would happen.
0: What um, What was the crime scene like? itself inside the apartment when the police arrived.
2: It was really horrific. Um, it, he, uh, Stefan's body was at the end of kind of a T shaped Mm -hmm. hallway. You walked into the entryway and then you go to the right to get to the living room and the left to get to the bedroom. And it was right there against that wall uh, that you saw when you walked in and there was blood on all three of the walls. Uh, low to the low to the floor, and just blood splatter all over, and his body was just pocked and covered with these wounds, and there was a pool of coagulating blood near his head. The police didn't get there. And they weren't called until uh, three, about an hour later. I, I think it was around 3.30. That doesn't make sense and, then.
0: That doesn't make sense then, well, because at 2.13, well, if the 2.13... The homicide was committed. It, I, I, I highly, highly doubt that blood would start coagulating, you know, within an hour.
2: Well, it does start to thicken, yeah, and uh, it, it is thickened in the pictures. The, um, you know, his body just bled out so quickly, and he, would, he had so many wounds around his head that, as I said, they mm-hmm. thought that there, that he had suffered a gunshot wound to the head. So it was just one of those things. They, uh, She said that, as I said, she said that he had mm. attacked her. Right. But one of the problems with that scenario is that she had no defensive wounds at all on her body, and his body was covered with them. His arms and hands were, were both covered where he tried to shield his face. And the other thing was that all of the blood, or the majority of the blood, was within two to three feet of the floor, mm-hmm. which meant that the wounds that he suffered, he suffered while he was laying on the floor.
0: How how big of a man was Stefan?
2: He was around five foot nine, and he was kind of pudgy, maybe one hundred and ninety pounds. So he wasn't a big man. He was an older man. He mm-hmm. was fifty nine years old, and not strong.
0: And what was the physical uh, appearance of of? Uh... Anna, how tall was she?
2: Anna is about 5'6", and uh, I think she was around 120, 130 wow. pounds. But Anna had gone to massage school, and she was strong. But the big thing was that, as I said, she had no defensive wounds in her body at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, his hair was found on the living room couch where she had, they think that was the point of the first attack, and she poked some of his white hair out and uh but there was none of her hair found and the thing that was so hard i think for so many people to understand was that stefan apparently never fought back he never raised his hand to her and and tried to fight her off when this happened all he did was try to defend himself by blocking her from hitting him
0: why wouldn't he have run into another room and closed the door
2: well, I think he tried that, but I don't think he, it, it appeared from the path he had taken that he was trying to get out of the condo because he was in the living room when mm-hmm. he was first attacked. And he was at the entryway, the end of the entryway hallway when he collapsed. But um, remember what I said earlier, Rob, about uh, Stefan growing up in that household where his father had been abusive?
1: hmm Yes. Well,
2: he had told all of his friends, everybody his entire life that I spoke with, that one of the great sadnesses of his life was that he hadn't been able to protect his mother and that he would never raise his hand to a woman.
0: All right, stand by. You and I have to take our break at the bottom of the hour for the news. Exxon Nation, Catherine Casey is our guest, com, And we'll both be back as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Welcome back, everyone. Catherine Casey is our special guest. We're talking to Catherine about her book entitled Possessed. Her website is www.catherinecasey.com. That's K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-C-A-C-E dot com. Catherine, did either one of these, uh, Stefan or Anna, have previous uh, criminal records or notices or flags that the police were aware of?
2: Well, Anna had been picked up for uh, drunk driving a couple of times. When she, like I said, when she got to Houston, she mm-hmm. became kind of a party girl. She thought that it, in her childhood she hadn't been able to enjoy herself the way she should have been, that she didn't have a lot of freedom. And I gather that what happened was there she was in her 40s and she was feeling deprived, so she went out and really got involved in the nightlife. And that broke up her marriage and she ended up like as I said, going from one man to right. the next and drinking too much. So she had a record. Stefan didn't. Uh Stefan was just kind of this white haired little dottery, kind of dottery looking uh university professor. Mm.
0: Um what did the friends say say about Stefan and uh and uh Anna? Were they surprised? Well they
2: had not when no. Well, well no, they, they understood immediately who had been the aggressor, and mm-hmm. they had been warning him for a long period of time uh, to, to separate from Anna. And as I said, he really honestly did try. At one point, uh, she came up to him in a restaurant uh, when he was trying to stay away from her. He, he was in one of his usual places with another professor, and Anna walked up to him and bit him on the cheek, and he started to bleed. Uh, It had looked as if she was going to give him a kiss, but she actually did him. And afterward, he spent quite a bit of time crying and talking with the other professor Mm. about how he had tried over and over again to get her out of his life.
0: Did he ever think of getting a protection order?
2: You know, he didn't. I I don't know if you ever thought about it, but he never did take that step. He was embarrassed that this was happening to him. Um, he said to people, quite a few people, I'm, you know, a lot of guys think you're supposed to be kind of macho and that women aren't supposed to, you know, Mm -hmm. be doing these things to them. And he was embarrassed. Um, and he was afraid.
0: Afraid of what?
2: Afraid of Anna, which he was capable of.
0: Do you think the fact that he was a make mild professor? That she was somebody he could that that he was someone she could control was part of the the um, formula for disaster
2: well, you know these cases are always all about psychology and kind of the dynamics of the relationship
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that was a big part of what was going on here is, and that's why she thought she could control him and why he would be the last one Wow. You know, that that if she really needed somebody, Mm -hmm. Stefan was the only one who had come through for her at that last last point in her life. And the theory of the prosecution at the trial was that uh, that night Stefan had gone upstairs and told Anna that it was finally really over, that he was done with her. Um, Here she'd gotten, you know, abusive with his taxi driver, caused a horrible scene again, yet again. She'd done this before. And that at that point, she just became enraged.
0: How long did the trial last?
2: It was three weeks. It was a three-week trial, which in Texas is not overly long. No. We no. tend to do six, seven weeks here at times.
0: Was there any awe-inspiring moment or anything that uh, the district attorney was able to bring up during the uh, trial that that kind of put everybody in a spin?
2: There were some really interesting moments in the trial. One of them was when they pulled out the tarot card book and held it up to the jurors to look at and there it was, you know, with the skeleton riding a horse. Yeah,
0: but you know, like I was saying, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people read tarot cards for entertainment. So I don't Well, say. but they
2: don't usually have the death they're not usually open to the death card on the night that they kill someone. You know, it, it put a different spin on it. It was kind of like, you know, what was she thinking about that night? When I was doing research for my book, I yeah. also found out that, that earlier that day, she had given a, uh, a another friend of hers three nickels and told him to put them in, in his cabinet, mm-hmm. and that if, if he didn't, something horrible would happen that night. So there was something going on. And those notes I was talking about, there were things in the notes where she was uh, asking spirits to present themselves. So this was, I mean, there were things going on in that apartment that night. Um, so, the other thing was when they pulled out the high the high heel, the stiletto heel, mm-hmm. and showed it to the jurors, there was kind of a gasp in the courtroom. Uh, you know, it still had Stefan's hair and blood on it. And then there was a demonstration with a... Uh, like a a CPR dummy that the prosecutor did where he showed how Anna would have had to have been sitting on top, Stefan holding him down, you know, while she was hitting him with the shoe. But was
0: that the prosecutor who was showing that or a forensic expert?
2: That was the prosecutor as the uh, model for, who who stood in for Anna, and they had a forensic expert there, a blood spatter expert, who it brought in uh, panels showing where the blood spatter had been to illustrate you know what must have happened based on the blood spatter
0: it sounds like the prosecutor was quite a showman
2: well you know he's a good prosecutor and well, I don't know yeah about that. i think he knew how to connect with the jury huh
0: well i think he knew how to take certain parts of what was found at the scene and interpret it and put it into the mind of the jury that it in fact was evidence like, as a police investigator myself, I would have never, uh, you know, you, you just can't, can't point to the tarot deck, even though it's open at the page of the death card, and say that the occult is involved. You just can't do that. Any, any, well, any defense lawyer with, a, with an ounce of sense in his head could have easily gotten that stricken from the record.
2: Well, he didn't say that the occult was involved. What he said was that this is, you know, what they did is they put this out there for the jury to know the fact that this book was open to the death card when it was found that night.
0: How did the, uh, how did he prove that Anna had a long-term interest in the occult?
2: Well, you know, it didn't really come up until the end of the trial, and mm-hmm. it was during the sentencing phase. And then one of her close friends got on the stand and said that Anna, you know, that she was afraid of Anna. And then explained that she was having... Uh, all of these different things that were happening in her life mm-hmm. that she felt that Anna was, you know, conjuring and doing other things that had influenced her life. So that's really when it played up, was at the end.
0: And there was only one witness who testified to that?
2: Yeah, they had to, the prosecutors really didn't, <clears throat> you know, they didn't uh, see the occult as the motive or, or anything. I mean, that's not what I'm saying here, Rob. I found that as an interesting part of the case, okay. because the more I got into it, the more people talked about it. You know, how Anna was very involved in it, that she thought she could heal people, that back in 20, December uh, 12, 2012, how um, she thought the world was going to, as we knew it was going to end, Mill- and she had gotten really involved in the Mayan calendar. Millions
0: of people she did, had- too. Millions of people. Well,
2: I'm not... Well, I'm not saying they don't. What I'm saying is that, to me, this was a very, this was part of who she was. And it's not the reason that the murder happened. Mm -hmm. The reason the murder happened, I, I do believe the prosecutors were right, and she was enraged and angry at Stefan because she had thought that she had control of him. And I don't think at that point she did anymore. But it was part of who Anna is. Yeah. What was your sentence? Uh, She got life, which is unusual for a a woman. You know, women don't usually get life sentences in Texas. There's always that presumption when a woman kills a man that somehow the man had done something to deserve it, you know? Um, He'd been abusive or something had happened. it's very, very unusual for a woman to get a life sentence here in in Texas for a, a crime like this. But she got on the stand. She was on the stand a long time. And, uh, you know, I think the jurors saw the violence and the anger.
0: Interesting. You and I will come back on the other side of this final break. Explanation Casey, I'm sorry, Catherine Casey is our special guest this hour. She's the author of Possessed. And if you'd like to find out more about Catherine, visit her website, Catherine Casey. Dot com. Just a reminder, exonation that the X-Chronicles newspaper is now available for you with our compliments at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. You can download it in PDF, you can read it online, and share it with your friends. Once again, www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. This is the exon I am Rob McConnell. And um, we'll be back on the other side of this final break, continuing our conversation with author, Katherine Casey. This is the Exxon, don't go away.
1: We
0: Back everyone. Catherine Casey is our guest at this hour. We're talking to Catherine about her book entitled Possessed. Her website is Karen dot com. That's CatherineCasey.com. Catherine Casey dot com. Katherine, um was the was there ever an appeal put forward by uh, a member of the defense for Anna? Yes. Uh-huh.
2: And yes. what they happened did file an appeal for her? It was denied.
0: Now, uh, her heritage was Mexican, right? Uh Uh-huh. Do you think her heritage played any part in the prosecution?
2: No, I don't believe so. No, I... There were uh, Hispanic people on the jury. I mean, I don't think it really entered into anything at all. Um, You know, I I do think that uh, it was probably Anna's performance on the stand that did her the most...
0: Harm. What was it like?
2: Uh, well, she became really agitated, and mm-hmm. uh, she, she just, uh, well, even in the courtroom, though, she acted oddly throughout the trial. At one point, they were playing the video of the night that, uh, that night at the bar before Stefan died, and Anna was kind of sitting in the, in the defense, at the defense table, mm-hmm. dancing in the chair, wow. like she was in the video on the bar. It was like she just didn't really get it, you know. Is it, po- um, it was like she just. Is is
1: I'm
0: it pos- Is it possible that she had mental issues?
2: You know, I do think that that Anna did have some does mm-hmm. have some mental issues, and and I do think that you know all of the alcohol that affected her that night and and everything, and but you know, um, I there were a lot of things going against her, those crime scene photos, the viciousness of the attack. Yeah. Uh, it was just, you know, kind of overwhelming, I think, for the jury. And then when she was on the stand, as I said, she became kind of aggressive and she looked a little erratic, and, and that can, you know, that hurts.
0: Um, was she on any prescribed drugs or medications?
2: No, uh uh-uh. And that night they asked her if she had ever been diagnosed with any type of mental illness and Mm -hmm. she said no and they didn't the defense didn't put up any kind of uh, defense based on mental defect Uh,
0: let me let me take a guess he was a
2: public defender no uh uh-uh actually he was a very well-known attorney here in uh in houston his name's uh, jack carroll and uh he really believed in anna he really thought that she was the victim that this was a case of domestic violence against her so the, and she was just fighting back
0: huh, but she had been seen being an aggressive person confrontational before, outside of this case by other people
2: yeah yeah she had she had a history during those four years that she mm-hmm. was in downtown Houston of uh you know assaulting people and doing other things. There was something just really wrong going on with Anna during those years, and uh, she changed really drastically.
0: Wow, I I don't understand why the why the defense didn't ask for a psychiatric evaluation.
2: You know, she insisted she was fine. There wasn't any history of mental illness. As I said, up mm-hmm. until four years before this, she had a really good job at Coca Cola, yeah, and was making good money and was you know, living the suburban life.
0: But don't you it, agree that a person who was a- acting like her should have, you know, you, I asked you before, mm-hmm. you know, if she was acting strange, and yes. So why wouldn't a defense attorney, especially her defense attorney, who, according to you, is a very well-known and, and, and well-thought-of attorney, why wouldn't he ask for a mental evaluation if she was acting what? so erratically in the past
2: four years? Well, you know, I think maybe he should have done that. That was something that he could have done. Um, I think he was kind of locked in because she did give this interview to the police. She gave this really long recorded interview to the police mm-hmm. in which she explained over and over again exactly how, she, how it had unfolded and what she had done. Um, and that it, it was that Stefan had attacked her and she was just trying to defend herself that he felt like he was locked into that. And I think he believed that. I think he believed her. But the problem was that none of the forensic evidence matched what she had to say. Plus, Stefan had absolutely no history of being violent with anyone.
0: No evidence of being reported... uh, I'm sorry, no evidence of being violent with anyone, right?
2: No. No, he had never... As a matter of fact, his friends described him as being overly gentle. Which, as I said, goes mm-hmm. back to their childhood and the way you know he'd been he'd been raised.
0: So it seems as if these two opposites got together.
2: You know, when you look at this, Rob, don't you think this is actually kind of a perfect storm?
0: It it sounds like it. It certainly sounds like it.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, it really is. Yeah, I, it was really hard for the uh, one of the prosecutors, John Jordan, to accept the fact that Stefan didn't try to fight back. You know, it was yeah. really hard for him to understand that, but there was absolutely no evidence that, that Stefan ever raised a hand to her. Huh.
0: Maybe he raised the hand, but the strike didn't come because Anna decided to get into the defensive system right away and, you know, decided to go on the attack. That would explain you why know, he didn't have any defensive wounds.
2: Well, it you know... It, It could be. I mean, his his arms and and hands were covered, uh, you know, from trying to protect his face, and Mm -hmm. his face was just bludgeoned with his heel.
0: Okay, let me ask you this. Uh, In her previous marriage, had she been a victim of uh, spousal abuse?
2: She had claimed that in her first—she alleged that in her first marriage, Mm -hmm. uh, after she was separated from her first husband— that he had returned to the house and, and sexually assaulted her, and there were also other uh, men in her life mm-hmm. who uh, she had talked about as having, um, you know, been been violent with her, or usually it, having sexually assaulted her, or, or been or violent buddies. with her. Uh, uh, not her second husband. Um Did the police follow up all. on it?
0: Did the police follow up on any of these leads and were any of these men who she made the allegations against sexual or physical abuse brought to the trial?
2: One of them did come in and he did testify and he said that rather than um that he, he had not attacked her, but what had happened is that she had, he had walked back into the apartment and she had hit him with a candlestick holder. So he, you know, refuted what she said.
0: And, and he didn't go to the police and didn't make a report? Was there any medical report to substantiate his claim?
2: No, but see, there were hmm. also other people. There were three other incidences with other men where Anna had attacked them. Wow. In the years leading up to Stefan's death.
0: So where is uh, Anna now?
2: Anna is in prison up in Gatesville, Texas. There's a there are two or three women's prisons up there, and she's in one of those.
0: How has she changed? Has she, in fact, has she changed? Has her demeanor changed? Has she been given psychiatric help, or do we know anything about Anna now after the trial and being in prison?
2: You know, I don't know anything about Anna now. They don't usually release any of that information. I did hear from a TV crew that had gone up there mm-hmm. that um, she seemed to be functioning pretty well and, uh, you know, seemed really coherent during the interview. So that's all I know.
0: Why do you think, I mean, besides the case being the the case of the stiletto killer, what? why else would this case hold so much interest?
2: Well, for me, it held interest because it was, you know, as I said, it was reverse domestic violence. Um, This is usually the scenario is usually that, you know, a man is stalking or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, pursuing and becomes violent with a woman with a woman. And I thought it was interesting that Stefan was in this situation. And, you know, it was different for him, I think. I think Although a lot of victims of domestic violence are very embarrassed and you know ashamed of the fact that, that they're in these situations, um, it was interesting looking at it from the opposite side.
0: Do you and think with the all the other
2: thing was who mm-hmm. Stefan was? I mean, he was this you know scientist who held patents and uh, lectured medical mm-hmm. students.
0: Do you think the fact that uh, the uh, the topic of Sexual abuse and assault is very prevalent in the news these days, that, that we're going to learn more about these adventures of male and female assaults?
2: Well, you know, I think we should, because I think if we get this stuff out in the open, mm-hmm. you know, then, then we'll finally understand more about why this happens and how it happens. And once the stigma is gone, then maybe the victims won't hide and, you know, and cover up. I mean, so many of them cover everything. Stefan covered it up. He was showing up with black eyes, uh, you know, and yeah. bruises. And a lot of women in that situation go through it, and very often they'll hide it.
0: I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight, Catherine. I wish you continued success and explanation. If you'd like to find out more about Catherine Casey, her website is www.catherinecasey.com. Com. Man, I'm going to tell you something, Exxon Nation. That case has got more holes in it than a piece of Swiss cheese in Billy Meyer's refrigerator. I don't know. To have a prosecu- To have a defense lawyer not take a look at all the evidence and say, Hey, listen, lady, you've got a screw loose. Let's get you checked. He doesn't do that. He's not doing his job. Mind you, that's why I'm here in the X Zone, because I do do my job. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away.